Miss the show, no worries on point. And on this podcast, Joe Biden cuts off Russian oil and states that the United States needs to be energy independent. But his solution is to turn to other tyrannical regimes to fill the world's oil needs. So where is Canada in this conversation? Why are we not part of the solution? Have we learned nothing? We will talk about that. President Zelensky has been begging NATO to declare a no-fly zone. Well, Poland has agreed now to hand over its fighter jets to the United States so that Ukraine can get access to them and create its own no-fly zone and defend its people. Will Putin see this as a declaration of war? And will this give Ukraine a fighting chance against this Russian Goliath. Thousands of people around the world are heading to Ukraine to join the fight against Russia, including a lot of Canadians, and Russia is watching. So we're going to talk to somebody, a former vet, who's been helping facilitate Canadians with this journey and the warnings he has for those heading into a very dangerous unknown. And of course, this war has scared a lot of people who are starting to make emergency plans for worst-case scenarios. Last week's nuclear scare has prompted a huge spike in doomsday preparation sales with folks buying up things like iodine pills, gas masks, and essentials needed should all hell break loose. And we'll talk about the consequences of government overreach and some troubling testimony that came out during a financial committee that's looking into the banking penalties under that emergency power that we're no longer talking about. And the testimony from a banking official reveals that they didn't just use RCMP lists to close down accounts. No, no, they went further. They decided they'd shut down other accounts just because they could. Why does that matter? Because this is all about the dangers of government overreach. Let us get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson. We will endure, and even if they come into all our cities, there will be insurgency, insurgent war. Support us. Support us. And not only with words, with concrete, direct steps. Ukraine's president wants less talk and more action. And today, President Biden cut off Russia's blood oil. Alex Pearson with you on this Tuesday, March 8th. And great to have you here with us. And on this International Women's Day, may we all tip our hats to all the Ukrainian women out there saving their babies and children. All the Ukrainian women who uh, sent their children to safety and then stayed back so that they could pick up arms and save their country. We've had a few of those women on this show, and to that, that is the kind of girl power I do admire. But it has been a constant hamster wheel of breaking news today. Holy crow, it's busy. This world might be a world away, but no question about it, it is hitting every aspect of our lives. And, you know, it's exposing a lot of our vulnerabilities that always existed. We just ignored them. And no question... Vladimir Putin underestimated his enemy. He certainly didn't expect Ukraine to put up a fight, and uh, it's doing just that. And, of course, it's making him even more ruthless, where you got reports where he's slaughtering Ukrainian people just trying to get out of their homes, flee their country. And now he's uh, determined to turn that country in just to a big heap of rubble, which is, uh, I guess, the goal. But nonetheless, he's a bona fide monster, and sadly, uh, it's a monster we helped create. And ridding of him is not going to happen anytime soon because Vladimir Putin still controls the almighty weapon of energy. And he was hit by a couple of things, you know, today. The big news um, in the last couple of hours is that Poland has now agreed to give the United States its fighter jets to give to Ukraine so that they would be able to create their own not their their own no-fly zone. It's not finally lies. I'm not sure that they can do it. We'll talk about it during the show. But no doubt it would... Uh, 
I think, infuriate Putin, who will see it as a declaration of war. But nonetheless, um, it could be a game changer if it's allowed to happen. And the other thing is, of course, it happened earlier today. Uh, President Biden came out and finally uh, decided to quit oil from Russia. So he's banning it. We will not be part of subsidizing Putin's war. This made, we made this decision in close consultation with our allies and our partners around the world, particularly in Europe, because a united response to Putin's aggression has been my overriding focus to keep all NATO and all of the EU and our allies totally united. The United States only imports uh, about 8% of Russian oil. So they're not a huge customer, but it's, uh, it will still hit Putin where it hurts. It'll also hit us where it hurts. Because the reality is we just don't have enough supply. And that's because in North America, we have so stupidly and naively uh, ignored energy. We have not treated it as it should have been, which is a security issue. And so we've been cutting back on supply and cutting back on it, all driven by this progressive fantasy that somehow we'll have all this clean energy overnight. And we allowed all the activists to landlock what all the world wants right now. Everyone wants what we have. And even if we wanted, you know, to be the immediate solution, Canada can't be because we haven't built the infrastructure to ship our very reliable energy to carry us through this transition to cleaner energy, which is still decades away. No matter how fast you want it, it's going to take time to get. And so here we are, and we really kind of think about it. We're a country with the third largest oil reserves in the world. And yet we still have to rely on tyrants like Iran, Saudi Arabia and Venezuela, which is, you know, which are the tyrants that are going to be filling the void with the oil that we need. I mean, it is just crazy. We, we can't be a solution to ourselves, let alone the world, because we went all in on a very misguided ideology and we're going to pay for it. Period. And Europe's in a worse situation because while they're saying they're going to cut off Russian oil, I mean, the reality is they can't. They get 38% of their energy directly from Putin. They did a deal with this tyrant. They built this natural gas pipeline that cuts right through Europe. And it's going to take another five to seven years before, you know, countries like Germany and Italy and the United Kingdom can phase out anything Russian. And, and they went all in on this natural gas with this known threat and no plan B and... Today, Putin is threatening that if the West bans his oil, he'll close that pipeline down. And if he does that, it literally means Europe will have no power. Like none. The lights go out. So as much as we are pummeling Putin with his sanctions, uh, he still very much controls the weapon of necessity for Europe because their power is his power. He, he is still in control of that. And we did this to ourselves. I mean, we have been breathtakingly naive about this. So sadly, what you're seeing at the pumps today is just going to keep going up. Dan McTagg, of course, out there, he's never been busier, but it's going to go up another 10 cents by Thursday. 10 cents by Thursday. That's about the $2 mark for the crappy stuff. And then it's just going to keep climbing. And if you look at the reports, energy experts say this could last a year, if not longer. So if you're making your living on the road, you're looking at thousands of dollars in extra costs. Home heating costs will go up. And of course, everything cost of living will go up, uh, further drive up inflation. And here we are at a time when we still haven't even recovered from COVID. 
and the cupboard is so bare. So it's not even inflation that is the big threat now. Now we have to worry about something called stagflation. That was a big word they used back in the 70s when you got a stalled economy, high employment, unemployment, and then really high inflation rates or interest rates. And um, it's kind of like, you know, we're going to be basically living in the 70s without the fun music of funky cars or bell bottoms. So we're just going to have long lines where you're going to have to wait hours. And I remember back in the 70s, I remember in Florida, we had to wait in line for six hours to get a jerry can full of gas. And you could only get a little bit. Um, Sky high boring costs. It's a different kind of reality we're not used to. And so there's no question. Justin Trudeau is going to be facing, I think, some very real pressure to pivot, you know, reverse course on his uh, carbon tax that hits April 1st. So that's going to add another cost to the gas. And then there's the clean fuel tax that comes in later this year. But what's the strategy moving forward on energy security? I haven't heard anything about it. Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania have all told the prime minister they want our natural gas. They want it. They want to be involved in building it. They want to sign contracts with us. And so far, he has said absolutely squat. In fact, he has refused to answer any real questions been asked, you know, he's on this European trip and he's asked about defense and he'll just, oh, well, we're going to increase spending. He's been asked about his energy strategies and he doesn't say anything. Like he's standing with his European allies. All of them are laying out their plans specifically. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're looking at. Here's our goal. Here's our strategy. And the prime minister says nothing. And so vacuous have his answers been that European media have actually called him out and said, like, why don't you ever answer questions? He doesn't get called out by by our media, but certainly the uh, international media is saying, well, what's wrong with this guy? You ask him a question and all he does is say stuff. He doesn't say anything that you want to hear. He just says stuff. But no question. Like, if he wants to stand with our allies, he's going to have to get very clear about his plans moving forward on energy security and defense strategies. Period. These talking points will not fly because we are in a new world. This crisis is a stark reminder to protect our economy over the long term, we need to become energy independent. I've had numerous conversations over the last three months with our European friends of how they have to be wean themselves off of Russian oil. It's just not, it's just not tenable. It should motivate us to accelerate the transition to clean energy. All righty, Joe Biden cutting off Russian oil and i pretty cagey about where we will get the supply to meet the demand. and. That's because Biden's going to be turning to oil tyrants like Iran and Venezuela to fill the void. And so he's facing growing criticism of cutting off one tyrant, you know, in favor of another. And while Biden states, you know, the U.S. needs to be energy stable, uh, you know, in the next press, he's saying, well, we got to speed up the market for renewables, which, you know, we all know are decades away from being both reliable and affordable. So bottom line is we need oil. But then after he made that announcement, we learned that Poland is now ready to transfer its 28 MiG-29 fighter planes to the U.S. with the understanding that they would be handed over to Ukrainian pilots 
fighting off the Russian invasion. So that is a very big change if that is uh, allowed to happen. Christian Leprecht is a professor at the Royal Military uh, College of Canada, a fellow over at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. And of course, we should always mention, Christian, you're an author and you've got a new book, North American Strategic Defense in the 21st Century, Security and Sovereignty in an Uncertain World. And you know, it's a very timely book. Yeah, well, one of the three tasks of the Canadian Armed Forces is uh, domestic defense, continental defense, um, and international security and international engagement. So our defense policy is strong, secure, engaged, a strong Canada, a secure North America, and engaged in the world. And of course, um, there are significant demands on the Canadian Armed Forces on all three of those fronts with the pandemic, uh, with missile threats, growing missile threats to North America, including hypersonic missiles. And of course, we're well aware of just how engaged the Canadian Armed Forces are in supporting allies and partners, including in containing the Russian threat. Yeah. Well, you know, you wrote that a few months ago, or it's been in the works for a couple of years, but boy, it's a, a timely read now. Uh, let me ask you about what, what we've learned like in the last uh, few hours. Um, you know, we learned that Poland has now, and this kind of came after they had said no, they were kind of going back and forth with it in the U.S., and apparently it, it caught Washington by surprise late this afternoon when they finally said, yeah, we're ready to transfer these planes. And I guess they have to hand them over in Germany, and then the idea is that America would then hand them to Ukraine. I mean, I, is this even doable? Yeah, so the challenge is it takes a long time to train a pilot, in particular on a military aircraft, a fighter jet uh, asset. So this is the closest that NATO has in terms of fighter jets that it could provide to Ukraine to help sustain the Ukrainian Air Force. There are other makes around. There's a few in Romania. They're even older than the ones that Poland has. Um, and the jets are likely equipped slightly differently than the Ukrainian makes, so there's going to need to be a bit of a training mission for the Ukrainian pilots, even if they're experienced, and it looks like the Americans are basically going to look after that training. The key for the for, for Poland was it obviously didn't want to give up uh, its fighter jet capability if it might be bordering um, Russia, have Russian troops near its border in the near mm -hmm. future. So there's a background deal that would have been struck that has not been announced uh, because uh, the Poles were looking for ideally F-16s, which they already fly, um, and or other equipment, in particular from the United Kingdom, but also from the U.S. Uh, so I think it means uh, Poland is going to get uh, uh, fighter jets uh, from the United States uh, in one form or another, either directly or through other European allies. Right. And I would assume that Putin will see this as a declaration of war because he'll say, look, NATO's getting involved. Uh, they're giving their planes up. And so how do they get around that? Well, they're going to this has been one of the issues. So they're obviously going to need to repaint those planes, including with the Ukrainian flag on the back. And they're going to need to make sure that those planes are properly transferred, including legally to the Ukrainian armed forces so that Putin cannot make a claim that uh, these planes, uh, this is really sort of NATO getting into the fight here. The challenge is also these are, there are really no other makes around that we could sort of hand over uh, to the Ukrainian Air Force. So we need to make sure the Ukrainian Air Force makes very good use of the, these assets because um, this is the only opportunity for us to shore up the Air Force other than trying to help them keep uh, the few planes they have, uh, left, keep those, help keep those in the air and try to protect those from Russian airstrikes. So what are we talking about as far as timeline? I mean, Ukraine has been begging for these. They need this airspace to stop Russia from uh, pounding them from the air. Um, how long are we talking before this becomes a thing? 
Well, nobody's going to disclose that. So, um, you know, I suspect they've already started training with Ukrainian pilots um, uh, and uh, and that the next uh, little while will be an intensive training regimen. Um, it is probably currently very difficult to train over Polish airspace, uh, given what's going on with supply lines and surveillance and the amount of flights coming in and out of Poland, uh, logistics and otherwise. So this is likely why they're transferring them to Germany so that they can... Uh, train elsewhere in Europe uh, and then at some point quietly um, bring them back to Ukraine because you wouldn't want to give the Russians a heads up. Um, yeah. But these planes will have to fly out of Ukrainian territory. If they would fly out of Polish or other NATO territory, then I think that would be a red line for Putin. Either which way, it could be a real game changer and certainly maybe level the playing field. So we'll wait for that to develop. The other big thing was, uh, you know, the United States saying that they're going to cut off Russian oil. They're not the biggest customer, but certainly it's a, a blow uh, to, to Putin. But, you know, Europe is still a very big customer. And even if they want to transition off, they're looking at years of, of being reliant on Russia, which is now threatening to shut down that pipeline uh, that runs through the country. You know, if anything that we have, I mean, if we have learned nothing else, uh, Christian, it's that we have been woefully naive, if not recklessly stupid. In, in not treating energy as a, as a security issue, and we're, pay, we're, we're paying that price now. $700 million a day in Russian oil that uh, goes into uh, Europe. So certainly one way to try to make sure we don't fill Putin's war chest inadvertently. The real tragedy in this story is, of course, that Canada could play make a major difference yeah. here. Um, Canada, so, so there's other oil capacity around, so the Russian oil you can substitute. I think even without the official bans, if anybody's watched the story on Shell in recent days, the reputational damage now for Western companies to buy Russian oil, even without mm. uh, banning it explicitly, is so high that I think no one's going to take that liability. The real challenge is liquefied natural gas. Because, of course, this is how much of uh, continental Europe, in particular Germany, heats their houses and gets some of their electricity. And the problem is uh, the only places that could provide capacity, the United States, Qatar, Australia, are going flat out. Of course, this country has lots of natural gas. If we could only build a pipeline to the East Coast, we could export that liquefied natural gas. We produce it much cleaner than the Russians do, so it would also be a significant contribution uh, to, uh, to mitigating climate change. And rather than giving the money to Putin to prosecute a war, uh, we would be keeping the money and we could invest the revenue into the energy transition in this country and in Europe. So I think there's a grand bargain that we can strike here. Uh, but unfortunately, when the prime minister was questioned explicitly yeah. yesterday yeah. in the yeah. news conference in the United Kingdom, he basically uh, he basically passed the buck. Yeah, he said nothing. I mean, he, that was his moment to say we are a solution, and it would send a, a direct message to Putin. But he he has to play to his uh, domestic audience, and, and that that. If this isn't the wake up call, Christian, I, I don't know what will be. I mean, the world has changed. Whether it is on energy on the economy or on military deterrence and containment of Russia, what we've gotten from Canada so far is lots yeah. of words and mm -hmm. very little action. And the, the, the words that we've gotten, by and large, you can translate into action, sanctioning Russian, uh, Russian oligarchs in Canada. If we don't have the laws, and we don't have the capacity to actually find the money, investigate it, seize it, freeze those assets, 
you know, if we're not building pipelines, um, it's very clear we're not currently being a good ally. But I'm not sure that either this government or the previous government really understood mm-hmm. what grand strategy means for Canada. Uh, and I'm too concerned. We're still too worried about boutique uh, electoral interests. But the prime minister might want to remember that he, he looks to me very much like Neville Chamberlain. What we need is a Winston Churchill. And the prime minister mm-hmm. may want to remember who was proven right by history, but who was also proven right by the UK electorate. Yep, indeed. Stay tuned. All right, Christian, I know you're so, so busy, very generous with your time, and I very much appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, always a pleasure, Alex. Thank you. Christian Leprec joining us. And again, his book that he had out and he wrote it a while ago, North American, sorry, North American Strategic Defense in the 21st Century, Security and Sovereignty in an Uncertain World. Very timely now. All right, great to have you here on this busy, busy Tuesday. And while Russia bombs Ukrainians, just killing innocent people while they try to flee their brutality, there are people from all over the world who are signing up to go into this fight, despite the fact that they're being warned by their home country, don't go. So out of 52 countries, 20,000 people have now signed up. A lot of them are Canadians. They want to go. But, you know, getting there and getting involved are two very different things. It's, it's not as simple as just flying to Poland and crossing over because Canada is not taking an active role in this uh, conflict. The government's not going to help anybody who chooses to go. And so right now on the ground, there are thousands of people who signed up to fight, but Ukrainian officials are telling those who join that they only want those with a military or policing background or experience and even getting proper equipment is proving very hard to find. So it's not just a matter of flying over. Chris Eklund is with us now. He's a philanthropist. He's got a group called fightforukraine.ca, but he was really instrumental as one of the vets who tried to help Afghan interpreters get out of that country. He joins us now. Good to have you, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right. So you have been kind of putting your efforts, uh, I think you're going on about two to three hours of sleep, trying to help Canadians who have thought, well, I'm going to go over and help. And so you've set up this website where people can actually come and sign up. What, what's the feedback been like for you? What are you seeing? Well, when it went live, we had an incredible amount of traffic uh, with, with the media interviews. Um, we're, you know, it's only about a week old. We're, uh, we're getting a few hundred hits a day. We're probably getting about two dozen people a day steady that are serious, that are asking questions. And the whole thing behind the, the site was one of information, uh, education. Uh, it's the big thing. There, It's all veterans, as mm-hmm. you said, behind this all. So, uh, I mean, we're in a, an incredibly unique uh, time right now because we basically have civilians right off the street. Um, no military background, never touched a weapon in their life, but they want to go help the people of Ukraine. So it's, uh, yeah, they're, they're full of passion and that's great. So what we're trying to do is, is basically give them, uh, you know, all the information they need to, to be ready before they go over. Right. And so you're hearing from more than just policing backgrounds or vet backgrounds or military backgrounds. You're hearing from all different kinds of Canadians. And what are what are some of the things that you're telling them? I mean, because it's I understand the passion of wanting to get involved. You feel helpless sitting here on the sidelines. But the reality is it is incredibly, incredibly hard to enter a foreign land. It's cold. There's no food. I mean, there's a lot more to it than just crossing in and and fighting. Well, there is. And, you know, for, for any veteran, um, you know, that was a professionally trained soldier, obviously um, it's a language that we speak all the time, but for, for civilians, uh, 
they don't know this. They've never been trained that way. And it's the real truth is what we're telling them about mm -hmm. what you have to do to get ready. And probably 90% of them are not prepared. Yeah. They're, some of them are not listening to what we're saying. And that's fine. They can, they can go. Um, but it's the same things again, you know, we're, we keep harping on everything you need to do to get ready. Have you seen your dentist, your doctor? Yeah. Do you have a power of attorney? Do you have a will? Do you have any training? Do you want to go undergo some training? Um, you know, some people they've, well, a lot of people, they've just jumped on the airplane and away they go. And, um, but what we want to do is, uh, we have the capability as a veteran community in, in Canada. To, to not just help out any Canadian, but anybody around the world. And, and we'll do it for anybody. And uh, we'll, we'll chat with them and, uh, and help them out. And, and there's a lot of appreciation. Uh, you know, we may not have told them what they want to hear, but for us, uh, it's something that they need to hear this. This is not a video game. Yeah. They need to hear, they need to know what they can expect, what they're getting themselves into, because once they go into theater, uh, there's little to no help that, uh, we, we can get them, uh, you know, right away. Yeah. This is not one of those things that you want to kind of, you know, whitewash a hard truth is, is what will save their lives or give them the understanding of what they're entering. And so the, the other side of this is that, um, this is going to really cheese off Mr. Putin because he watches this kind of stuff because, um, you know, he doesn't want any NATO allies or anybody from outside of Ukraine coming in to help. He doesn't even want Ukrainians to fight back. So what are you seeing on that side as far as response from, from Russia? Well, the whole world, uh, I mean, is, is coming to Ukraine's uh, side to help them out. And, and I mean, that's, that's absolutely incredible because that's really, that's the right thing to do. So this was uh, Putin's doing and, and the world is coming to Ukraine's rescue. But one of the things from the cyber warfare is, um, you know, even before this started, I was getting reports from from different uh, companies that uh, provide, you know, the software for this, that they're seeing an absolutely incredible uh, uprise from bad actors, you know, in, especially in Russia that are attacking, um, you know, aid agencies, NGOs, anybody that's basically there to to help out the ukraines and so even with our new website we kind of got ready for it and sure enough um the the amount of attacks that are undergoing uh even as we speak to our website from from uh bad actors in, in russia is incredible mm. it's um we, we actually had twelve thousand uh hits uh yesterday alone and i'm i'm watching them live what they're what they're trying to do and you can see exactly what they're trying to do. So, uh, but uh, th this is just a big thing. I think that everybody around the world needs to really sit up and take notice, um, you know, personally, business, anything is to make sure that you're, you're protected. No question about it. And the other thing is, you know, this is not going to be over anytime soon. Um, are you, is your organization or are organizations that are helping people go over to fight? Are they tracking those who go over? Are they, are, are you going to be helping them? Should they get stuck or in trouble or are these people on their own? Is that made clear? Uh, it, it is. And, and right off the bat, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, the, uh, the stuff that we are taking care of because we don't want to get into a situation 
uh, like what happened in Syria. We're already uh, got yeah. repatriation plans uh, put in. Um, you know, we, we hope for the best, but we have to plan for the worst. Uh, that's simply the logistical person inside of me and everybody else involved. So we've already started that because we, we have to be honest with ourselves. When you look at the numbers, there will be a loss of life. Um, I, I hope that I'm going to be wrong, but we're mm -hmm. planning that there will be. And again, the government will not be involved in this. So um, we're, we're starting that plan. Let's hope that we never have to use it. Mm -hmm. But for the long haul, what all Canadians and everybody, yes, you know, our website, fightforukraine.ca, um, we've, we've just launched the social media too. Just the, the one thing that we're cautioning everybody is um, everybody needs to understand uh, and, and respect the, and, and be disciplined here about the enemy that you're going to face, mm -hmm. if not on the battlefield, but through cyber warfare. Um, you you got to respect where the Russians are on this playing field. You can't whitewash that at all. So everybody needs to be very, very careful about everything that they're doing online with groups, et cetera. Um, we don't do anything at any time, you know, to put anybody in harm's way. We're seeing a lot of people do stuff that we don't agree with. But again, we can only advise people. Um, that is, we are preparing for a long, long, long haul here. And we're looking at different options that we talked about beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, let's just hope that this can be over soon. But the reality is it's, it's probably not going to be. And logistically, again, because that was my background in the Army, um, we're, we're looking at everything for the long haul here. And we want to make sure for Canadians that are maybe listening in that are overseas now or on their way or other family members, go to our website. Uh, we're always here to help. Um, we, this is something we're basically, we're all making this up basically as we go, we're flying by the seat of our pants. It's changing all the time. And um, we just have to be flexible and open to those changes. No question about it. All right. Well, Chris, we'll continue to talk to you about this and see how this journey goes, but I very much appreciate the uh, update and uh, some of the risk assessments you guys have been able to do. Appreciate Thanks. your time. Thanks very much. That is Chris Eklund. And uh, if you're looking for more information, it's fightforukraine.ca. They lay it all out. If you're looking to go over, just remember, it is not as simple as landing and crossing. It is a very tough grind. And of course, Russians are ruthless as we have now seen. But there you go, the information will be laid out. Great to have you here on this uh, Tuesday. And my question to you is, are you ready for an emergency? And I'm not talking like a rainy day. I'm talking about a natural disaster. I'm talking about actual emergencies like power outages or I don't know, nuclear fallout. Because there is a growing concern or questions that a lot of people have during this conflict between Ukraine and Russia, like all hell could break loose. And it was certainly heightened last week when Putin ordered his military to shell one of the world's largest nuclear plants in Ukraine. And that one event alone prompted this huge kind of surge in survivalists shifting into high gear to make sure that they are prepared for any worst case scenario, specifically nuclear fallout. And it's prompted a lot of people who have no plans at all uh, to start coming up with one. Tim Hodges is marketing director and webmaster for Forest City Surplus in London. He joins us now. Good to have you, Tim. Hi, Alex. What do you sell and how's business been? Uh, well, we, we sell lots of like outdoor equipment, survival gear, uh, tactical gear, 
um, and some boring electronics as well. But um, yeah, business has been doing quite well. We're we're struggling to keep up with the uh, number of orders that are coming in. Did you see a noticeable kind of spike at, at a certain point? Um, well, the we used we were selling a lot of freeze dried food. Um, in 2020 for the pandemic and then it died mm-hmm. off and and then we've seen a, in the last uh two three weeks we've seen you know big spike in orders for our freeze-dried food and our survival rations it's interesting because i've never really th- i know preppers i know people who have the hazmat suit they've got the gas masks they've got the iodine pills they are ready uh should all hell break loose and i kind of just shrug it off and say okay okay it's good uh and then it really wasn't until we saw the nuclear threat uh last week where i thought gee what do we do if there is like some kind of nuclear fallout and the prime minister was asked the next day you know is Ottawa making plans? Should there be any kind of uh, situation? And he didn't answer the question, but I do think it is a question that people are asking. It's like, what do I do in case of an emergency? If you were kind of building a, a kit, Tim, for someone who said, well, I just want to be prepared, what would you be telling people that they should kind of have on on the side right now? Um, I'd suggest uh, make sure they have enough food. Um, we're getting orders for um, portable toilets, um, or like in like commodes, um, mm. just in case there's any sort of issue with the sewage. I mean, you don't want to be out of luck. That's right. Um, and that and, would be for uh, an attack on, let's say, like a power grid, or um, there have been some suggestions that Russia could go after like our, our waste supply, that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. That, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of that's, you know, gravity fed and stuff, but there are still areas in at least in London, Ontario, I know from my mm-hmm. dad, who's a civil engineer, that you need pumps to to pump the sewage uphill. And if there's no power, and you know, it, you're going to have backups. So, um, so what about iodine pills? Yeah, thing. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, we yeah um, yeah we're just getting like a lot of people going to for things like uh, we have like life straws. There, some people are building um, what they call bug out bags. Um, just in case they got to run out of the city as well. What is the concern most people bring to you? Lately, it's been, been food, people buying gas masks, um, like the, the bug out bag, the portable toilets. Um, we're getting some people buying, um, um, we have life straws to filter water and uh, power inverters in case the power goes out. Uh, it's a device you can use your car as a generator to, you know, power your fridge and freezer. It's interesting because um, you're also getting a demand for people purchasing and shipping them to, to Ukraine. What kind of demand are you seeing as far as people wanting to send stuff overseas? Yeah, so uh, our office was just filled to the brim with blankets yesterday and uh yeah, we we crammed them all in a van to send them off to the Ukraine. Um, we've been we had in some uh, solar powered um, cell phone chargers, and mm-hmm. uh, we sold every one of those to the Ukraine. 
Let me ask you about iodine pills because a friend of mine ordered them and then realized, oh, um, she read the label and realized, do not eat these because you'll die, basically. I mean, they were not the iodine pills, I think. Not all iodine, um, you know, ingestives are created equal. What is it that people want if they sh if they want to get that kind of thing? What do you suggest? Um, they, I, I'd probably, like, we don't carry that ourselves, but from what I know, you definitely want to go to, like, a pharmacy. Um, just because they, um, I know uh, I have a friend that lives around the Pickering plant and they have, uh, I've been told that they can get, get from a pharmacy iodine pills uh, just in case of a, a nuclear radiation leak there. And they would be mm -hmm. the, the proper ones that, that you would need um, to help uh, block out certain radiation. In your, in your view, I mean, because you deal with this kind of stuff, I mean, I, I look back to the response the government had with, um, you know, this pandemic, just everything was so reactive. Would the government have these kinds of plans in place? I mean, I, it sounds so weird that we're even talking about this. This is the kind of stuff that we worried about back in, in the 80s during the height of the Cold War. But we are in a war with a kind of zingy, zangy guy who has nuclear weapons and clearly will use them. Um, you know, do you believe governments, do they have a plan, an action plan in case all hell breaks loose? Not that I'm really aware of. I mean, to be honest, I, I haven't... Uh... I, I do a lot of political work, and I've never really heard anyone in politics talk about a backup plan. Yeah, like that's this. generally how it works, right? They're, they're never actually prepared, unless they're preparing for themselves. They always seem to get to the bunker. It's just the rest of us that, that have to worry about it. The other um, uh, situation is, you know, being prepared, moving forward, getting the, the stocks. How hard is it for you, and I, I'm sure other kind of supply stores are running into this, how hard have the supply chain issues been? Are you having trouble getting stock in? Yeah, the the owners been focusing on buying stock, and our purchasers been been working overtime trying to to just keep the stock in. Um, and we we've crammed in as much as we can in our warehouse as well for because we're expecting you know big supply shortages. What's the supply shortage that you are concerned about most right now? I I'd say right now it's been like uh, just trying to get in the, get more gas masks and uh freeze dried food and uh we we can't get any more survival rations um we've been trying to get those for the past few months Interesting. You're, well, you're probably up against a lot of um, huge procurement issues uh, at the government level across this world. Um, but if you are, I mean, look, I, I do the news, I'm in the news, I'm immersed in the news, so I should probably be better prepared than most people. Of course, I'm never prepared, and I'm, <laughs> I wouldn't even know what to do um, if all hell broke loose. But if you were kind of telling someone, here's the essentials that you have to have in case of emergency, what are the five top things? I'd say uh, food... Um, some sort of communication, uh, you want some bottled water around, um, sanitation is another thing, and um, something to keep you warm. There you go. And a battery-operated radio, because you know what, Tim? They never go out of style. Lo and behold, when you need one, they actually work. Well, look, uh, I appreciate you talking to me. I suspect that this will probably become more of a conversation as we move forward, but certainly it's a big business for you and, and the others, and uh, certainly there's a demand for it. So I appreciate you taking some time. Thank you. Tim Hodges is with uh, Forest City Surplus in London, and uh, they are just one of the many, many businesses who are seeing big-time surges in um, people just trying to get prepared for uh, 
the unknown. And, you know, I guess we have to be. It just it doesn't seem like it's ever going to hit us. But it, when it does, you want to be ready. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday starting 630 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point.